You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome. Welcome to the weekend edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Thank you so much for joining me all week and particularly on this Saturday. Hope you're enjoying your weekend. I'm getting ready for Ball State, Georgia State in football. Uh, Man, I'm fired up. But uh, before I get to the college football weekend, I want to walk you guys through the fire starters for this week. We had a great week of shows. I can't take credit for it. The news cycle was good, and the people working with me are excellent. So uh, fantastic shows this week. Uh, Kyler Murray, we started on Monday with my comparison of Kyler Murray to Allen Iverson. Kyler's the answer to the problems he creates. Right now, Kyler Murray is football's version of Allen Iverson. You might read that or hear that analogy as high praise. It's not. It's recognition of Murray's dynamic skill, diminutive size, and uncanny ability to answer the problems he creates for the Arizona Cardinals. A week after an embarrassing performance in the season opener, Murray added two more quarters of uninspiring play to his 2022 resume. At halftime on Sunday, his Cardinals had a real problem. They trailed Las Vegas 20-0. The pint-sized QB with the 2XL contract was a social media laughingstock around 2.30 p.m. yesterday. Twitter memes blamed Murray's lackluster performance on a beta test of a new video game, Call of Duty, I think it was. Well, uh, 90 minutes later, Murray was the toast of the NFL. He razzled, dazzled, and rallied Arizona to a 29-23 overtime victory. Numbers don't tell the Murray story. You had to see it to believe it and appreciate it. In a game of giants, the 5'9", 205-pounder made would-be tacklers look like level one ghosts chasing an elite Pac-Man video game player. The two-point conversion run Murray converted early in the fourth quarter couldn't be pulled off in a game of Madden. Watch it for yourself. Murray. Running out of time. On the move. Coming back this way. Dancing and looking and directing traffic and look at the length of this play. <laughs> Murray no, to the ten, come on. to the five, and he's going to convert it. That's unbelievable. <laughs> it's crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Later in the fourth, on a play that will be forgotten, Murray escaped the sack, danced around in the backfield, and forced a holding call on Las Vegas that converted a fourth and four. Four plays later, Arizona tied the game with a Murray touchdown run and a two-point seen-eye laser to receiver A.J. Green. Kyler Murray is the answer. He's also the problem. Same as Allen Iverson. You couldn't take your eyes off Allen Iverson on a basketball court. The undersized point guard captured your attention and imagination. You marveled at his skill and fearless approach. 
You were so impressed with his ability to dominate men twice his size, you overlooked his propensity to create his own problems. Iverson was an underdog. Who doesn't love rooting for an underdog? My problem with Iverson was he could have been Isaiah Thomas. I'd rather be Isaiah Thomas than Allen Iverson. Thomas was the solution, not the answer. Answers are temporary and change depending on the question. Iverson won an MVP trophy, but never won an NBA title. Thomas never won the MVP, but won two titles in the era of Michael Jordan, Maddie Johnson, and Larry Bird. Thomas had a better career than Allen Iverson. Thomas isn't given the credit his accomplishments deserve. Winning two championships in an era when the NBA was heavily invested in promoting Jordan, Magic, and Bird is one of the most impressive feats in modern team sports. I enjoy watching Kyler Murray. I don't envision him winning a Super Bowl. He's too inconsistent. His decision-making is too erratic. He doesn't care about preparation. That's why the Cardinals tried to impose a film study uh, clause in his contract. Like Iverson, one day Murray will be captured in an interview mocking the discussion of practice. We talking about practice, not a game, practice. Murray's career will feature a long list of highlights and Pro Bowl appearances. He might even win MVP one season. Being football's Allen Iverson will make Murray memorable. Same as Iverson. No one will forget Iverson's crossover dribble against Michael Jordan. No one will forget Iverson stepping over Tyron Lue in the 2001 NBA Finals. But Iverson isn't remembered as a winner or a champion. We live in a time when many athletes and fans would prefer Iverson's legacy over Thomas's. Many people prefer style over substance. I'm not one of those people. Iverson underachieved. Kyler Murray is headed down the exact same path. Okay, we moved on on Tuesday, and I clown-suited Don Lemon because uh, some white woman came on his CNN show and clown-suited him. And so I just kind of piggybacked off her and uh, explained to Don Lemon and everybody else about reparations and how we're not owed anything. We actually owe our ancestors. In less than a minute Monday night, Hillary Fordwich blew up CNN broadcaster Don Lemon's simple-minded narrative on reparations. In a discussion about the British monarchy, Lemon nonchalantly referenced the need for reparations because of England's past colonialism. Fordwich pounced. The seasoned public speaker and expert on the royal family argued that Britain was the first nation to end slavery and that African slave traders owed reparations. Her argument left Lemon speechless. He quickly moved on. Watch for yourself. Well, this is coming when, you know, there's all of this wealth and you hear about it comes as England is facing rising costs of living, a living crisis, austerity budget cuts and so on. And then you have those who are asking uh, for reparations for colonialism and they're wondering, you know, $100 billion, $24 billion here and there, $500 million there. Some people want to be paid back and, uh, and members of the public are wondering, why are we suffering when you are, you know, you have all of this vast wealth? Those are legitimate concerns. 
Well, I think you're right about reparations in terms of if people want it, though, what they need to do is you always need to go back to the beginning of a supply chain. Where was the beginning of the supply chain? That was in Africa. And when across the entire world, when the slavery was taking place, which was the first nation in the world that abolished slavery? The first nation in the world to abolish it. It was started by William Wilberforce, was the British. In, in Great Britain, they abolished slavery. 2,000 naval men died on the high seas trying to stop slavery. Why? Because the African kings were rounding up their own people. They had them on cages waiting in the beaches. No one was running into Africa to get them. And I think you're totally right. If reparations need to be paid, we need to go right back to the beginning of that supply chain and say, who was rounding up their own people and having them handcuffed in cages? Absolutely, that's where they should start. And maybe, I don't know, the descendants of those families where they died at the, in the high seas trying to stop the slavery, that those families should receive something too, I think, at the same time. It's an interesting discussion, Hillary. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We'll continue to, to discuss in the future. <laughs> yeah, uh, Don Levin moved on uh, very quickly, but that doesn't mean we should. We shouldn't. We need to discuss reparations here in America. It's a critical issue that impacts the mindset of many black Americans. Many black people believe America owes us for the oppression of our ancestors. I take a completely different position. I believe I owe my ancestors for the oppression they endured and conquered. I owe reparations to my mother and father, to my grandparents, to Martin Luther King Jr. and Booker T. Washington, to Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, Harriet Tubman, George Washington, and Crispus Attucks, to my high school football coaches, to my fourth grade teacher, to all the people who invested their time, concern, prayers, and mentorship in my development. I try to immerse myself in a spirit of gratitude because I believe Jesus, cross, Jesus Christ died on a cross for all of my sins. His grace and mercy overwhelm me and combat any sense of entitlement. Reparations are entitlement. They're rooted in the desire to be compensated for the oppression suffered by others. Entitlement handicaps the mind and undermines productivity. America does not owe me. I owe America. I owe my ancestors. When President Kennedy told Americans in 1960 to ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, he spoke to a nation of Christian believers. A hallmark of faith is gratitude. A hallmark of a lack of faith is entitlement. My parents' generation, despite facing in-your-face racism, felt grateful for their American citizenship. Their generation and previous generations fought for full American citizenship. They earned it, and I owe them for their sacrifice. We all do. Here's the truth that Hillary Fordwich avoided unloading on Don Lemon. The modern ancestors of African slaves brought to America and England are blessed and owe an enormous debt to our forefathers and mothers. They suffered so that we now live free. They turned lemons into lemonade. I'm not owed reparations. 
I owe an endless debt to the people who sacrificed their lives so that I could live in the freest, safest, and most opportunity-filled country on the planet. I wake up every day thinking about how I can pay back my mother, father, brother, sister, my high school, my college, and anyone else who helped me along the way. I owe this country. It is not perfect, but there's no place else on the planet I'd rather live. I certainly do not have an interest in living in a land that Britain had to stop from capturing, enslaving, and selling people who look like me. Americans stopped Americans from doing that. The Brits stopped Africans from doing it. I'm an American. I'm not ashamed of that. God placed me in this country for a reason. The American reparations movement sends the message that white people are responsible for the destiny of black people. The movement exonerates black people for our role in the slave trade. We pretend that Europeans invented and initiated the African slave trade. It's revisionist history that defies logic. Africans established the African slave trade. It's laughable to blame the customers for a product line the customers didn't launch. The fight for reparations is reinforcement of a slave mindset. It screams that black people are not responsible for themselves or their actions. It screams that black people are whores to the highest white bidder. Are we? We celebrate rappers who profit from denigrating the image of black people. Jay-Z, Snoop, Dr. Dre, Meek Mill, and all the rest are no different from African slave traders. They sell out black people for record deals and fame. They have an entitled mindset. They owe the world and their ancestors nothing. They've enriched themselves at the expense of other black people. Anyone who complains is vilified as a traitor. Black Americans will not progress until we rid ourselves of the entitled reparations mindset until we embrace the fact that we owe our ancestors, black and white ancestors, an enormous debt. It got even better on Wednesday. Joe Burrow, the Bengals, he's struggling. I think he's got Colin Kaepernick disease. Guys full of arrogance, shallowness, narcissism, and wokeness that may be undermining Joe Burrow. He may flame out. I explain. I'm going to say this. I hope I'm wrong about Joe Burrow, the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. I'm rooting for him. No different from how I rooted for Josh Rosen, Robert Griffin III, Cam Newton, and Colin Kaepernick. I root for pretty much every young quarterback. I want them all to be the next John Elway or Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. Great quarterbacks make sports fun and interesting. So Cincinnati Bengals fan, back off. We're on the same team here. My tweets analogizing Burrow to Rosen to Rosen and Griffin were not written with malicious intent. They reflect my gut instincts at the moment. They reflected the reality that sometimes young quarterbacks trip over their own egos and sabotage their careers. I pride myself on having a highly sensitive quarterback ego radar that allows me to detect potential problems before others see it. It starts with a gut feeling and then grows. Monday afternoon, 
During a discussion with TJ Moe and Steve Kim on this podcast, I had a tingling in my gut when we started talking about Joe Burrow. Initially, I attributed the tingling to the thought of eating Skyline Chili while visiting Kings Island's theme park last Saturday. The chili is considered a delicacy in Cincinnati. <laughs> a humane person wouldn't feed that garbage to a dog. But upon review, it wasn't the chili that set off my radar. It was the realization that Joe Burrow has some of the same personality quirks and characteristics as Rosen, Griffin, Newton, and Kaepernick. Burrow is off to a horrible start to the 2022 NFL season. Fresh off a Super Bowl appearance, the Bengals are 0-2, having lost to the Mitchell Trubisky quarterback Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cooper Rush-led Dallas Cowboys. Joe Burrow is supposed to be the next big thing in football. In his first complete injury-free season, he led the Bengals on an improbable run to the Super Bowl. Prognosticators saw Burrow as the second coming of Dan Marino. But now, Burrow can't outscore Trubisky and Rush, two quarterbacks who will be holding clipboards around Halloween? What's the problem? Let's investigate. Burrow has tossed four interceptions in two games. Despite a dynamic receiving core, his yards per attempt hover around the bottom of the league. Since he has scored a total of 37 points this season, Burrow has been sacked 13 times. You can blame the sacks on Cincinnati's rebuilt offensive line, but there's more to the story. Burrow doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. He's leaving the pocket too soon, and he's not climbing up in the pocket and helping his offensive tackles. The sacks are a combination of bad O-line play and a skittish quarterback who was sacked 70 times last season. But wait, there's more. Does Joe Burrow have the right attitude? Is Burrow too cocky for his own good? Has he prioritized social justice virtue signaling above football greatness? Is Joe Burrow suffering from Colin Kaepernick disease? The disease killed Josh Rosen in the football wound. The UCLA quarterback entered the NFL with the stated goal of being a social justice champion and complained about the nine teams that didn't draft him in the first round. He lasted one season as a starter in Arizona. Kaepernick disease is a deadly form of arrogance, shallowness, narcissism, and wokeness. The disease is triggered when agents, handlers, and media influencers convince young athletes their mission is to be more than an athlete. The disease has been around for a little more than a decade. Scientists believe the virus leaked from a laboratory in Portland, Oregon years ago when Nike executives at the behest of China developed a formula to make LeBron James the next Muhammad Ali. The league sparked a pandemic across football and basketball. An early symptom of the disease was the desire to kneel during the national anthem. New variants of Kaepernick disease cause athletes to speak out on political issues they know very little about. Joe Burrow recently posted on Instagram about abortion and the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. In June, he urged politicians to get those crazy guns off the streets. Back in 2020, during the summer of George Floyd, Burrow and his Bengals teammates made a joint statement standing in front of the National Underground Railroad Museum. Watch for yourself. 
It is each of our responsibility to affect change in our communities, not only for us, but for those yet to come. We cannot turn a blind eye to the racism still experienced in this country. This is not an issue of politics, but a fight for equality in life. If this nation is to ever reach the goals that it has promised to its citizens, we must be catalysts for change. Look, there's no doubt Burrow has at least a mild form of cap disease. It's not just the wokeness, it's the arrogance, the flamboyance. Those are other telltale signs of cap disease. Arrogance and flamboyance destroyed Cam Newton and RG3. Like Newton and Griffin, Burrow had a singular spectacular season in college football, won the Heisman Trophy, and entered the NFL Draft amid high expectations. Early in Newton and Griffin's pro careers, my QB ego radar started sending me signals that they would not sustain their early success. Once Cam Newton committed to dressing like the Queen of England, I jumped ship. Remember the little bonnets that he was wearing? Jump ship. When Griffin refused to come out of a playoff game against Seattle, even though it was obvious his injured knee rendered him useless, I jumped off the Griffin bandwagon. I was ridiculed and reviled for arguing that their egos and off-field ambitions would undermine their success. That's what I see potentially happening with Joe Burrow. He wants to be more than an athlete. He wants to be a fashionista. He wants to engage in political discussions. He's distracted and cocky. He's headed down the same path as Rosen, Griffin, Newton, and Kaepernick. Those guys all ignored my warning and continued down the path of destruction. Joe Burrow should focus solely on football right now. He can be a runway model and an uninformed political pundit in his 40s. Now's the time to be a great quarterback. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Thursday, I kind of went off the cuff. But I had to go off the cuff because Stephen A. Smith was so stupid on ESPN as he talked about M.A. Udoka and his suspension with the Boston Celtics. I had to put a clown suit on Stephen A. Smith, which wasn't all that hard because he already put the red nose and floppy shoes on himself. Why do we know this? Because see, if, it, if it were me and I'm standing in front of the Boston Celtics, you know, if you're Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski, our extraordinary insider who's been all over this story, along with Sean, Johnny and others, Johnny and others, I get it. What I'm saying is, why do we know this? Why is this publicized? This is a comical question. Coming from someone who purports to be a journalist or a journalist in his past. This is a comical question. Why do we know this? Because if, and, and, and first of all, we don't know it from the Boston Celtics. This all happened 1, 2, 3, 4 a.m. in the morning. This, to me, 
sounds like one of uh, Emmy's assistant coaches is friends with someone in the media and they're gossiping about why they're not going to have their head coach next season or why he may get suspended. This isn't uh, Brad Stevens who's running the Boston Celtics or some high-end executive saying, hey, you know what, at four in the morning, we want to leak this out to Adrian and Shams. These are reporters doing their job, calling all of their sources, calling agents, there's someone, Emmy, I'm sure he and his agent are pissed off. They may have leaked it. They may have told these guys. But, but even if we go and cut deeper about, let's say Boston did put this out. And let's say they do give an explanation today, tomorrow, whatever, what's going on with, with their head coach. If they don't give an explanation, they get crucified. You're going to suspend, discipline your black head coach that just took your team to the NBA Finals and you're not going to give an explanation? If they do that, Stephen A. Smith and all the other race baiters go on TV and call Boston and the Celtics organization the most racist organization in sport. How dare they suspend Emmy Aduko without an explanation? This is racist. You can't do this. They better have a great explanation for why they're doing this and they better give it to us. That would be the argument. And so what has happened is guys like Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp, other people, Twitter, these guys all pander to Twitter. Twitter is so racialized and it's so trained everybody to look at every situation through a racial lens. No one looks at things, again, we talk on this show constantly about looking at the world through a biblical lens, looking at the world through a moral lens. Social media baits everyone. Every situation has to be examined through a racial lens. That's the game that the Boston Celtics and every sports franchise and every person in America is being forced to play. If Jason Whitlock goes outside and says, hey, it's hot today. Well, first people are gonna say, "Well, well, hold on, Jason's black and he thinks it's hot. And if you don't like black people, it must be cold. If a white person goes outside and says, they think it's hot, we don't think, well, is he right or wrong? We start, we, we, we evaluate everything through race. This is crazy. It's self-destructive. It's toxic. It's, it's ruining our country. Stephen A. Smith, we just saw a couple of weeks ago, play the race card on BYU based on nothing. And that, that's what I tweeted out this morning. It's like, is Stephen A. a PSYOP? Is he an MK Ultra? Does he have some handler? Who's telling him to do this? To throw out all logic and common sense and just go on TV and play the race card. Is Disney telling them to do that? Is that what they want? Is everything evaluated through a racial lens? This coach allegedly based off the reporting we've been told, is undisciplined sexually. He's in a relationship with Nia Long, some actress, and and, 
you know, th there's reports that maybe this isn't his first rodeo with extracurricular activity uh, within the Boston organization. Perhaps uh, the Celtics have overreacted here because there is some truth to what uh, Stephen A. Smith is saying that in sports organizations, in any organization, in, in this co-ed work environment world that we have created, there's a lot of shenanigans going on. But perhaps, and again, there's a lot of things to discuss here, we're gonna to try to discuss them, but there's a lot of things to discuss here. Perhaps this is actually a good thing. The Boston Celtics are taking a moral stand and perhaps they're trying to create a work environment where head coaches can't just indiscriminately screw their subordinates. Perhaps they're drawing a line in the sand because their organization may have been dealing with this problem in other areas and arenas and they had to draw a line in the sand because things were out of control. Who knows? But let's have that discussion before we go to playing the race card and, and, and all white guys are doing the same thing and no one's talking about it, go tell Rex Ryan that. You remember Rex Ryan? Nothing illegal. Stories about him and his foot fetish and what he and his wife like to do. Someone uh, texted me early this morning stories of ESPN doing stories on white NBA executives getting fired for extracurricular sexual relationships in the workplace. These stories are being written about and talked about on ESPN. I felt like Friday we ended with a bang. I somehow combined the M.A. Yadoka topic with Brett Favre and answered all the people. What about Brett Favre? What about Brett Favre? Brett Favre, Brett Favre, Brett Favre, Brett Favre. Well, I'll tell you about Brett Favre and how it has nothing to do really with race and everything to do with entitlement. Entitlement. That's what binds Brett Favre and Emmy Udoka. Nothing else. For the past 48 hours, since NBA reporters Adrian Wojnarowski and Sham Sharnia dropped the news of Udoka's workplace malfeasance, Social media pundits have desperately tried to place the Hall of Fame quarterback and Celtics head coach in the whataboutism racial blender. It's the no risk gadget of choice for low IQ influencers looking for Twitter street cred. It works nearly every time. Let me give you a little background. The Boston Celtics had announced late Thursday night had a press conference this Monday announcing that they suspended Yudoka for the entire uh, 22-23 season because he violated the team's personal conduct policy. Reports allege that Yudoka participated in an inappropriate consensual sexual relationship with a female staff member. On the other hand, Favre has been in the news of late because of his alleged role in a Mississippi welfare scheme that tried to funnel $5 million to a volleyball facility at his alma mater, Southern Mississippi, where his daughter played. Yudoka is a basketball coach. Favre is a retired NFL player. The stories are seemingly unrelated. But given the fact Yudoka is black and Favre is white, Twitter rewards 
its users and high-profile high influencers for connecting the two events. Failed NFL quarterback turned ESPN broadcaster Robert Griffin III flipped the switch early Thursday morning, tweeting, quote, if you're more upset about Emmy and Duca and the Celtics situation than Brett Favre stealing millions in welfare money from the poorest people in our country in Mississippi, then you are part of the problem, end quote. The nonsensical tweet has nearly 150,000 likes and 30,000 retweets. Thanks to the dopamine coursing through his brain, RG3 has every right to believe he tweeted something very profound and logically sound. Like all social media apps, Twitter rewards idiocy. But here's the truth. No one outside of Nia Long, who's Emmy Udoka's girlfriend, Celtics employees, and some of their fans. Outside of that, no one is upset about Emmy Udoka's misbehavior and misfortune. Sports fans are fascinated. Udoka's implosion feels unprecedented, borderline historic. Based on what we've been told so far, we've never seen an organization torch a successful head coach over consensual sex a week before the start of training camp. Add in Boston's elevated and celebrated status within the NBA, and the Udoka story captivates the way daytime soap operas and the daytime soap opera marriage of Luke and Laura did 41 years ago on General Hospital. 30 million viewers tuned into that wedding. The daytime soap opera craze expired more than a decade ago. They've been replaced by an army of talk shows that rely on messy reality TV storylines. Yudoka delivered one. But I digress. RG3's real agenda is to deflect attention away from a black public figure caught with his pants down. This is the national pastime of Twitter and corporate media pundits chasing likes, retweets, followers, and racial virtue courtesy of the app's rigged algorithms. For maximum relevance, Twitter requires users to analyze every human engagement through a racial lens. The requirement has perverted and dumbed public discourse, divided Americans along racial lines, and blinded us from the truth. The forced racial pretzel featuring Favre and Udoka provides a perfect example of Twitter's corrosive impact. We shouldn't be asking, what about Favre? Race plays no role in people's disparate interests or the media's current coverage of Udoka and Favre. Retired players who have yet to be charged with a crime aren't nearly as interesting as the current head coach of an NBA title contender. No one spent much time discussing Clinton Portis, Joe Horn, and a dozen other former NFL players defrauding a healthcare retirement fund for NFL players. No, we should be talking about the sense of entitlement pervasive among athletes and other celebrities because of our culture's out of control idolatry. Entitlement explains the behavior of Favre, Udoka, Portis, and virtually all of America's celebrities. 
Why would Brett Favre, a man who earned more than $200 million on and off the field, allegedly attempt to financially benefit from welfare fraud in his home state of Mississippi? I'll tell you why. Because he feels entitled. The world has catered to his every desire since he became a star at Southern Miss. He never waits in line for a table. Restaurants comp his meals and drinks. Women seek him out. Coaches, administrators, executives, agents, and well-wishers clean up his mistakes. Television broadcasters, radio hosts, and sports writers minimize his transgressions in exchange for access. The TV networks wanted an on-field John Wayne to drive ratings, so they rewarded the people who did the best job of celebrating and worshiping Favre. Favre was an American idol, no different from Michael Jordan. We created these Frankensteins. The only thing that has really changed is our desperation to create the next batch of unwitting monsters and the number of media platforms with laboratories. We've grown from four TV networks to 300, local newspapers to thousands of blogs, local radio stations to thousands of podcasts, a handful of skilled tastemakers, people like John Madden, Howard Cosell, Bob Costas, Chris Berman, etc., to a million hacks pontificating across the internet. I can run off a long list of hacks firing off opinions on the internet. Entitlement drove Udoka to, an act, to act in a way that damaged his career and may eventually cost him his job. He's been catered to too. He's a former athlete. It doesn't matter that he never reached professional stardom. I was a mediocre mid-major football player in the 1980s. I was catered to in high school and college. I wrestled with entitlement. As an adult, it took a reawakening of my faith to fully slay my sense of entitlement. Corporate media tells black people to feel entitled. That's what critical race theory is all about, the entitlement of black people. In the past 24 hours, Stephen A. Smith and many other sports media members have tried to paint Udoka as a victim. Without any proof, Smith and others have claimed the Boston Celtics leaked the Udoka story. The allegation makes zero sense. The far more likely scenario is that Udoka and his handlers leaked the story to try to influence Boston's punishment. Honestly, I don't even believe the narrative that has been presented. Successful coaches do not get suspended and or fired over a case of consensual workplace sex. There's far more to this story than we'll likely ever know. What I do know is that Yudoka acted selfishly and irresponsibly. It's not surprising. He, Favre, and many other athletes exist in the bubble of entitlement and idolatry reconstructed for all athletes and celebrities. All right, there you go. That's the great week of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Uh, go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. If you're on Apple or Spotify, hit the like, subscribe button, join the Fearless Army and get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, hey, listen, email me 
fearlessattheblaze.com. Love to hear your feedback. Have a great weekend.